Welcome to the Genesis Church Podcast. We'll have more information at the end of the podcast, but for now, please enjoy this week's teaching. I'm sure we all know this story from Matthew 14, verses 22 to 33. Immediately he made the disciples get into a boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But by this time the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning he came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, They were terrified, saying, It is a ghost, and they cried out in fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those on the boat, in the boat, worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I use a lot of water imagery. I mean, it's kind of a joke now in, now in staff meetings that I, oof, here comes Kara with another water analogy. I'm going to move this back a little bit. Will, is that cool? Cool. Thanks. Usually I'm using some kind of analogy about treading water or life rafts or a sinking ship. <laughs> I'm not saying we're sinking. I'm just... I, that, that connection was not good. Although I will say, like, that was like a year ago when I was really heavily using that. I don't use that as much, so that, that's a good sign. That's a good sign. And, you know, I'm always trying to get people to drink liquid IV, so I'm just like, all oh, about water. This time of year, I'm especially drawn to water, like many of my fellow Minnesotans. Oh, I said that so Minnesotan, too. Minnesotans. Mm. There's nothing like the feeling of boating across a smooth lake, leaning your hand over the side to catch the splashes of water, or the thrill of boating across someone's wake, kind of bobbing with it. As an adult, I still think that that's super fun. Whenever I'm feeling disconnected, I often feel like I need to get to water. I love the hypnotic movement. I love when the sun is dancing over the top of the water. It grounds me and it comforts me. But it terrifies me a little bit too, water. The immenseness of the ocean, the times I've been at the ocean, just like the presence and the power over it. And I've had more than a few encounters where I've gotten lucky after pushing my limits. Two weeks ago, um, didn't... Didn't tell Josh this story yet, so I guess he's going to get it firsthand here. But two weeks ago, uh, Freya lost her goggles in the deep end of the pool. We we, um, go to the Sabes pool, the outdoor pool. She lost her goggles. It's like 10 feet deep, 
And of course, mom had to mom it, and I can, I'm swimming in the deep end too, I can just go down and get those goggles, because it's not that far, right? Except I didn't give myself enough of a push down in the water, and I misjudged just how out of reach those goggles were. I can feel that like, stretching, stretching, it's almost there, and I wasn't gonna give up because I'd already gone under the water. I kept pushing down and down, and I was under that water for too long because I forgot that I would need to push off from the bottom and come back up. And I kind of scared myself in the water that day. We had to get the lifeguard, to get the big long stick, to get the goggles out. It was scary. Because even when you're comfortable with water, even when you love it, things can turn sideways quickly. And the disciples in our story this morning, they're accustomed to water too. Some of them are fishermen, their livelihoods depending on their time in the water. Even storms or heavy, heavy winds on the water were commonplace given their geography. Many sermons that you hear on Matthew 14, 22 through 33, are pretty succinct. We could just, you know, do the succinct version and then go to brunch. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to elaborate, you know. Peter, usually they say Peter had the right idea getting out of the boat. He stepped out in a bold faith. And like Peter, we have to heed this invitation. Find the courage, step out of the boat. We'll undertake great things for God when we walk and trust with Jesus. And beware of all doubts, eliminate all fear, or you'll sink. And it doesn't matter that the wind is howling or that the waves become stronger. You just keep those eyes fixed on Jesus and you'll stay above the waterline. Sure, Peter lost sight of Jesus, but maybe you could do what he couldn't. Maybe you could risk it all. You could go big or go home. You just have to believe enough. And I don't know about you, but this, this leaves me a little bit unsettled. Because when we read the story through that lens, it feels like just a morality tale. Like Peter's faith is to be commended, but then he fails when he doubts, and we should avoid that. The story is just about Peter, and then if you're lucky, it can be about you, as long as you never doubt, never worry, never question. And maybe that theology worked at some point in our lives, or at some point in my life. We do need to have courage. We do need to trust more than we need to fear the unknown. And it isn't wrong to focus on Peter's experience, but I'm curious if there are other ways that we can look at the story, turning the gem of scripture to see if light dances from it in a new way. So I'm going to read the passage again for us. You can follow along in your liturgy or your Bible or your Bible app. I want to invite you to imagine yourself in the story. And as you do, remember, before this, Jesus and his disciples had just recently received word that John the Baptist had been murdered. Then they went and they fed 5,000 hungry people and watched as a, as a bag lunch fed everyone. And then they were on their way to Gennesaret, a region of Gentile people with Jesus. And after I read this, you know that I'm going to invite you into an all-play. So just listen to the scripture, noticing what imagery and thoughts jump out to you. Okay? Verse 22. Immediately, 
Jesus made the disciples get into a boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But by this time, the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And in the early morning, he came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It is a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Jesus said, come. So Peter gets out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, Peter became frightened, and he began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, you of little faith, why do you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. So what, I'll play here, what stood out to you in these verses as you heard them again? Bob, yep. Mm-hmm. Bob said, um, not, that, not that Jesus walked on water, but that Jesus reaches out his hand to Peter when Peter steps out in faith. Yeah. 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 Rather than just giving him a hard time and refusing to help, he chides him a little maybe. I don't know. Tone, it's like reading people's texts and emails. You're like, what's the tone here? I feel like that a lot with the Bible. But yeah, what else do you notice in these passages? Or what does this passage communicate to us about Jesus? Maybe that's a better question. Yeah, Joan said um, what she noticed was that Jesus sent the disciples off kind of immediately, even though there was still work to be done. There were... 5,000 people to kind of dismiss, and Jesus sent them on, on their way. Even Jesus needed some alone time. Even Jesus needed some alone time, yes. He'd been trying to get it before the feeding of the 5,000, and he didn't. Suddenly 5,000 people are there when you need alone time. I mean, that is all of our, in, that's the introvert fear, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rebecca um, said she was, she gets curious about, what about the other disciples in the boat, right? We kind of hear this big thing that Peter's doing. What were they thinking? Is this a story just about Peter? Is this about all of them? 
I feel like they're kind of like the non the NPCs, the non-playable characters in in the in these stories. Josh, listen. I try to listen and engage with my 10-year-old who loves video games, so yes, NPC is part of our life. Anyway. <laughs> Yeah. 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 Kristen says she marvels at just the fact that Peter asks that he. She's like, I don't think I would ask that question to go and do the same thing that Jesus was doing in that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dan said um, that Peter's starting with doubt. So he's like saying, if it's you, do this thing. So he's already doubting. Not just later when he's like, oh, it's like really windy. Yeah, Linda. Mm, Linda. Yeah. Yep. Peter, as a fisherman, would have been accustomed to waves and the water, and why was he so freaked out in that moment that it was like coming up around him? I know this is not nonchalantly, but it seems like the text is just like, and uh, he came walking toward them on the sea. Yeah. Like, it's just so matter of fact. Yeah. And my brain goes, I have questions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Will said that he know <laughs> he finds it interesting just how nonchalant it is. Like Jesus, you know, was done with his time alone, so he's just like walking out on um, on the waves to them. Like Will feels like he has more questions that he would like to ask. Yeah, yeah. Trying to imagine ourselves in those situations, right? Like if you're in the boat, what the heck is going on, right? Yeah. Yep. See, this is why, okay. Yeah. This is why I love reading scripture in community because I love the way that all of our different brains work too to catch those things. Kristen said, she's like, so what was his plan? Was this his plan the whole time? Like he sends the disciples away, but then Jesus is there without a boat. So like, what was his, what was his transportation plan from point A to point B? Was he going to still join them no matter what? Yeah, Bob. I'm just thinking about this as a lesson. I know this step here could have meant death. I think we all take smaller steps to the community where the risk is death. Mm-hmm. Bob said he, um, that Peter's step out is, you know, he's risking death in doing that. And um, it can be an encouragement to us even as we have to take our little steps in faith and in love. Because how else will we ever be able to kind of move in, in bigger ways? Mike.
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Mike had a great insight into being curious about what's, what are the disciples' energy level, right? Like they had, they had just, they had learned this news about John the Baptist, so that was like kind of like rocked them. They're in this space with 5,000 people. There's a miracle in their midst. Jesus sends them away, and then they're in this storm, likely up all night trying to like keep things steady. What were their energy levels like? What would it have felt like to be them? Hmm. Anything else? I don't want to stop the awesome flow, but I also don't want to... <laughs> Me and silence are not friends sometimes, so... Oh, I, thank you so much for sharing your curiosity and the things that pop out to you in these texts. I really feel like all of us are... I don't know, we're just all... I, I find myself so encouraged by hearing um, from each of you, so thank you for that. When I read scripture, I often ask to myself, what am I learning about God's larger story as part of this? Or what am I learning about Jesus and my own belovedness in these verses? So when I think about what, if I'm, if I'm taking a little bit of the focus off Peter and shifting it more to Jesus in the story, what do I learn about Jesus? Well, Dan had it when he said Jesus needed rest and connection. In the midst of grief, in the midst of meeting needs of 5,000 plus people, Jesus needed quiet time to sit in silence with the divine. So he withdraws from everyone. It says immediately he sent the disciples away. And I love there's a lot of like urgent language in here. He's just like, no. And if you are a person that sometimes needs your, down, your quiet time and you're constantly surrounded by noise and needs and what have you, it's sometimes... Not difficult to think about Jesus being like, you guys just get in that boat and you get going because I need some space. If Jesus can rest, so can we. If the God of all there is can create the world and take a rest after each movement of creation, then so can you. And it's not just permission. It's important for our ability to abide with God. Secondly, I think Jesus sometimes humors us. In the immortal words of the Rolling Stones, you can't always get what you want. If you try sometimes, you might find that you get what you need. And Peter wants confirmation that it's indeed Jesus, right? So sure, Jesus told Peter it was him, but Peter wants just a little bit more, a little more proof. Okay. So what's motivating Peter here? That, that makes me really curious. Does he simply want proof? Is he hoping that he gets to be in on the action? I mean, what a cool trick, Jesus. Like, I want to do that too. Is he hoping that maybe if he gets the proof he needs, he can turn around to his friends and reassure them? Is he hoping that Jesus will calm the waters for him to walk on? Which is all that these disciples had been hoping for in that long night. The water and the wind to calm Regardless of Peter's thought process, I imagine Jesus sighing a little bit. I imagine him thinking, oh, I wish, I wish for once these disciples could hear me and believe me. So he's like, sure, Peter, come on out of the boat. Okay. Whatever Peter was thinking, I don't think he probably figured he'd end up back in the boat, dripping wet and maybe a little chagrined from the experience. 
In the end, he's part of the miracle, right? Just maybe in a less flashy way than he thought. I think that God can handle our doubt and our questions and our anger and our impulsivity. Even when there's maybe a little more direct path, God gives us the space we need to figure those things out. And this passage reminds me that even if that path leads to tough places, like sinking in the water, the divine will always be with us. And lastly, this passage teaches me that Jesus is the steady hand in chaos. The chaos, if you notice in these these passages, the chaos ceases when they're in the boat together. The wind calms when they're reunited in community. The chaos made it virtually impossible for the disciples to navigate the boat. Even experienced fishermen couldn't find stability in that long night. They did what they could, but it wasn't until Jesus was present in their midst that they fully realized calm. And how often, how often does that happen for us? We keep trying to grind it out. We keep trying to use all of our skills and sheer force of will to keep that boat afloat. And sometimes we can do that for a long time. But what if there's an invitation for us here to notice Jesus in the chaos, in the long night as we struggle to stay afloat and believe that Jesus could calm the wind swirling around us? Because as Jesus approaches the boat, he declares to them, take heart, it is I, don't be afraid. In Greek, it is I, is ego emi which is the same phrase that God uses when speaking to Moses through the burning bush. So the disciples see Jesus walking on the water. They are afraid, and he says, I am. The language of the God used in the Septuagint, language that they would know. And even as he's approaching them, he's steadying them. Through a miracle, through language, through a strong hand, through his presence with them in the boat. Jesus steadies him. Reverend Debbie Thomas says, Jesus is continually moving towards the disciples, right? There's a lot of movement in these passages. He's moving towards the disciples when they're struggling at sea, when they think he's a ghost. He moves towards them when one of them wants to test him. And when that guy starts to go under the waves, Jesus is still moving towards him. He moved towards them when they all need help, when they're all together exhausted, and for that one amazing moment when they realize who he is and what he is. Jesus never stops moving towards those he loves. Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. What chaos is circling around you? Maybe chaos feels like too strong of a word, right? For your day-to-day life, but maybe chaos is exactly what you're feeling. I use the imagery of rocks and water a a lot um, when I think of my own life story. So if you think about a lake and maybe there's some like big rocks all on the sand under the water, I imagine picking up a rock, right? Um, A memory, a relationship, a trauma, an experience. And when I do, there's all that sand and debris that kind of comes up with the rock and it makes the water murky. That sand and debris are my feelings about the situation or intrusive thoughts or regrets or what-ifs. That water is murky with tiny ripples of chaos before things settle again. 
So I'll often tell my therapist when she asks how I am, I'm feeling a little swirly or murky. I'm finding it difficult to see things clearly until they settle, hopefully settling in a more healthy place. When you're in the murkiness, it is so difficult to make out what's next. In the fog of exhaustion or stress or doctor's visits or bills coming due, it's easy to wonder if the mirage on the waves is something to be afraid of. It's difficult to see the one who calms the storms walking on the water. Do you expect to meet God in the chaos? I think that's the important question coming out of this passage. Do you expect to meet God in the midst of chaos? Were the disciples wondering on that long night of trying to ride out the storm, were they wondering, where the heck is Jesus? We could really use him right now. They had seen him do miraculous things, and they could have used a little bit of that power right then. And I think that's the bit of faith that I'm really curious about in these words. What would it feel like to expect God to show up in our midst? To imagine that the creator of all the cosmos is interested enough or powerful enough, or loving enough to show up. Rachel Held Evans used to say, on the days when I believe this, when she used to begin her sermons, and it's apt today as well. Most days I believe God shows up. Some days fear and terror make me wonder if there's a ghost on my horizon, and yet time and time again, I see that steady hand of Jesus, and it comes in unexpected ways. In the kindness of others, in the smile of my daughter, in the breeze beside the lake, in the hymn I hear playing in Elam Sanctuary as I come down and prepare for worship here, in the conversations we have around a big table at Nouvelle, in the requests for prayer and care and meals, in the wisdom of others, in the long-forgotten song lyrics that come to mind, reminding me that I am held. And on the days when I believe this, I notice God in the chaos and in unexpected places. So what chaos is swirling for you today? Where is God showing up, ready to steady you in the midst of that chaos, calming the winds, calming your spirit as you connect with God's divine presence. This week, may you find the steady hand of Jesus reaching out to catch you, calming the winds of chaos that encircle you, and drawing you into community and connection once again. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Genesis Church Podcast. Our teaching team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion. Creating opportunities for our community to respond from wherever they are in their faith formation. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary and a church calendar because they anchor us in something which can hold us no matter what life throws our way. Our goal is to become ordinary apprentices of Jesus who are learning to love God, ourselves, and others wholeheartedly. If you have any questions or would like to connect with Please us, visit genesiscove.org.